I'd like to invite you now to turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. Uh, This morning we will consider Philippians uh, chapter 1, verses 29 and 30. I would like to begin the reading in verse 27, however. So Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse uh, 27, beloved, before we hear God's word, if you would, join your hearts together with me in prayer. Our Lord and our God, we lift our souls to you. We recognize that we are but sinners before your holy majesty, and yet you have chosen in your infinite wisdom to forgive us of all of our sins, to pardon our iniquities by the blood of your Son. We thank you, Father, for this deep and wonderful truth. We thank you that you have accepted us, that you have adopted us as your children, and that we now, with spiritual ears, listen to the voice of our Father speaking in the pages of Holy Scripture. We pray, Father, that by this inspired and fallible word that you would speak to our hearts. Father, conform us into the image of your beloved Son, your chosen servant, who laid down his life for the sheep. We pray that you would do this good work in your people. To the praise of your glory, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 27, beloved, this is the word of God. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of, your, of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ... You should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord remains forever. Well, verse 29 begins with the word for, for it has been granted to you. This word, as we've said many times before, and I'll say it many times, Lord willing, After this, hopefully we can uh, learn this lesson. Uh, This word for connects what Paul says in these verses with what he said previously. It's similar to saying the word because in this context. So this, this, and this because of this. Verse 29, because it has been granted to you. And so what did Paul say before these verses? He said, and that from God. What was from God? Opposition to the gospel, that is what was from God. And opposition to the gospel as a clear sign of the salvation of God's people. They oppose you, but their opposition is a clear sign to you, the church, that you will be saved. That is, all of that is from God. Of your salvation and that from God. Those are the kinds of things he said Previously, Now, why is this true? Why is opposition, suffering for Christ, a clear sign of our salvation? Verse 29, because, because it has been granted to you 
that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Now, most of us here, I think, like receiving gifts. Children, if you're here, do you like receiving gifts at Christmas? Do you like receiving gifts on your birthday? I'm sure that you do. That's an easy answer, right? Yes, I do like getting gifts on my birthday and at Christmas. Paul says that every member of the church has received a gift from God. We have received something from God, a gift. Well, this is exciting, right? What is this gift? I can't wait to open it, like at Christmas. I can't wait to see what I've gotten. Well, we come to find here, we come to find out here that God's gift to us is suffering. It has been granted to you, it has been given to you to suffer. That's the gift. Suffering, friends, as a Christian, is a gift. It is a gift from God. And just like when you receive gifts from others, it is a gift for which we should be thankful. Verse, or If you think about what Paul says in chapter 4, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so the gift of suffering is a gift from God for which we are to be thankful. And let's look at how, well, let's look at how or why Paul understands the church's suffering to be a gift. The first thing is this. We should appreciate here that the suffering in view here and in the rest of the New Testament is not restricted to a particular kind of suffering, namely the suffering that comes by way of direct persecution toward the gospel. The persecution that would come as a direct opposition to the gospel of Christ. The suffering is not restricted to just that, although that is a form of suffering for sure. If we are persecuted, opposed because of our confession, because of the ministry of the gospel, that is certainly a form of suffering. Paul had just mentioned the opponents of the Philippians in verse 28. This may have included direct opposition from outside the church, opposition from, for example, the Roman culture, the ungodly Roman authorities. He may have been thinking about that. Paul himself was experiencing something like this as he was languishing in prison for Christ. Who put them there? Authorities, some authority, possibly the Roman authority. Verse 13, Paul says, my imprisonment is for Christ. And so he is suffering as a result of direct opposition to Christ, to the gospel. And so that is part of it. It could have been opposition also from within the church that he's thinking of. False doctrine or from false teachers. In chapter 3, he will tell the church, watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evildoers. What he was talking about there is was false teachers, those who tried to impose circumcision on on Christians as a way to be saved. And so it could have been false teaching. Paul doesn't specify that here. But when you hear suffering, when we hear suffering as as Christians in in the church, you might think of persecution, right, as a form of direct opposition to the gospel. You hear suffering and you think, being persecuted for 
Christ. You might think of the kind of persecution and isolation experienced by Christians in other parts of the world, where Christianity is actually outlawed. They suffer in that way. Certainly, the suffering that Paul has in mind here includes that particular type of suffering that does come as a result of opposition to the gospel, as a result of persecution. This persecution, again, is happening or happens to Christians in other places and in every generation. Why? Because they hate what is preached. They hate the Christ that is preached. So that is certainly a form of suffering for the church. But for most of us here at Providence in Austin this morning, we don't experience this necessarily right now. And we may never experience this, this particular type of suffering. And so then as we hear this, these words from Paul about suffering, are we then excluded from the suffering that he has in mind here? Is he only talking about those Christians that are actually persecuted for their faith? Are we then excluded because we don't experience that? Are we not recipients of this gift? Well, the answer to these questions, of course, is no. The suffering that Paul mentions here is suffering that every member of the church experiences as a Christian every day of their lives until Christ comes again or until you are taken to be with him at death. Now, it comes in different forms, for sure. It comes in different forms for different churches, but it is suffering nonetheless. It is suffering that we endure. This suffering includes persecutions, but it's not limited to that. It also includes the misery of living our lives in Christ in this dark age, in broken bodies, suffering physical pain from broken bones, perhaps, or broken minds. We might think of permanent physical handicaps that some endure as Christians, permanent mental handicaps that some endure in the church. We might think about these things for ourselves, and that's hard enough as it is in itself, as a form of suffering. But what about our children? Is it not a form of suffering for Christ to see and experience brokenness in our children? It is. Perhaps that's even harder to endure. What about the very often vulgar and gross ungodliness in the world that we can't seem to avoid and that we come into contact with in all types of ways? Unless you permanently stick your head in the ground, which we can't, Christians will, until the day we die or until Jesus comes again, we will have to endure the gross idolatry and the blatant and proud ungodliness of the world. It is something we will have to endure until the end of time. Paul calls this generation, the world, the ungodliness in the world, he calls it in chapter 2, a crooked and twisted generation. That is part of the suffering that all of us have to endure, even now, right now. Whether or not we are persecuted for the gospel. So those are forms of suffering. We also contend against the temptations of Satan. We daily wake up to a spiritual conflict as a Christian. 
That is the reality in which we live. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul talks about the suffering that the church was experiencing and enduring, and he associates that affliction with the work of the evil one. Satan is behind that. All forms, a lot of the forms that, of the suffering that we endure, Satan is behind. So the temptations of Satan, the work of the evil one in this world is part of the suffering that we endure. Jesus taught us to pray. He taught the church to pray always like this. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, which could really be translated, deliver us from the evil one, the activity of the evil one, which is presently at work. He is a defeated foe, yes. He is abound by Christ, yes. But he, there is activity there, nonetheless. And so we war against Satan and those who follow him. And so contending against the temptations of Satan is part of the suffering that the church must endure, each member of the church. And so for us here today, in this time period, in this location, Providence, North Austin, Texas, we all, for the most part, we drive here without being stopped by the police because we're going to worship. Christianity is not outlawed here. But Satan is still at work. You still suffer through a spiritual and therefore largely invisible conflict as a Christian. You still suffer and contend against the evil one, the temptations of the evil one, which, again, for the most part, is largely invisible. It's an invisible war in which you're engaged. But it is a war nonetheless, and therefore you suffer. Now, Christ's resurrection assures us of the victory. He assures us what he has done, what he has said to us, what he promises us, assures us that we will have the victory, that we will, in the end, be victorious, but we do suffer until then. We are at war against an enemy nonetheless. Now, this reality is the reason why Paul can say in verse 30 that the Philippians, as he's writing to them, and they're enjoying their freedoms. They're enjoying not being in prison for the gospel. He can say to them while he's in prison for the gospel in verse 30 that they are all engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had and now hear that I still have. That's what Paul said. They're in the same fight, the same struggle, the same war. Now the word translated here, conflict, is a word that and its general use was used to refer to conflict in either the sports arena or conflict in a military setting. It is where we get our English word agony. You might think about the agony of fighting for victory in a soccer match or a football or basketball game. Or you might think about the agony, the conflict and the pain from fighting in war in a military setting. It's that kind of agony that is, that is referred to here on some level because this is the word that's used for those, uh, for those spheres. The church, every one of us, young, old, middle-aged, married, single, widowed, we are all engaged in a spiritual conflict. All of us. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had and that we all still have together. That's what Paul says. Now think about the sports arena. There's different types of 
players. There's different types of members on each side of, of the teams that compete against one another. There's coaches and players. There's trainers. There's offensive and defensive coordinators. They're in the same conflict against an opponent, just in different forms. Or you might think about war. There's the infantry. There are pilots. There are the naval forces. There are marines, sergeants, lieutenants, spies even. And you might even think about biologists, scientists. There's a new movie that just came out about scientists or biologists who invented the atomic bomb. He was part of the conflict of World War II. And so a different form, never picked up a gun, but certainly in the conflict with the other soldiers in that war. So too with the church's suffering. Not all of us are apostles. Not all of the Philippians were apostles like Paul was here. Paul talks about the conflict that the church saw that he had and still has. What did they see in the beginning and what were they seeing now? Well, Paul began this church plant in Philippi by being imprisoned. If you look back into the book of Acts, when he begins his ministry in this city, he ends up in prison for Christ. And so this church plant, this church began with the apostle in prison, and now he's back there again years later. And so that's, what, that's the kind of conflict that they saw that he had. But they were all in the same conflict, just in different forms. And so not all are apostles, not all are missionaries or pastors, not all are persecuted for their faith in the same way that Paul was being persecuted here. But we are all friends, each one of us, engaged in the same conflict. No matter where you are, no matter what stage of life you are in, no matter what your abilities may be presently or may not be presently, you are engaged. You are part of this conflict. You wage war with all the rest of us against the temptations of Satan, against the ungodliness of the world, against your own indwelling sin. We are all in this spiritual war uh, together. And so suffering here includes all types of suffering. Persecution, yes, but all types of suffering that every Christian endures. The second thing is this. This type of suffering that Paul mentions here is peculiar to the believing members of the church. That is to say, this type of suffering that Paul references here is shared by the members of the church and no one else. Please understand that. This is suffering that is given by God to believers for the sake of Christ. Verse 29, to those who believe in him. It's their gift. It's not everyone's gift. It's your gift because you believe in him. Now, this is important to think about, and I'll explain it in a minute. This is important to think about because unbelievers, those who don't believe in Christ, the non-elect, and we don't know who all of those are, but there are unbelievers in the world who suffer also. Unbelievers suffer right along with believers in this world. That is a given fact. If you think about wars, earthquakes, fires, floods, cancer, depression, loneliness, heartbreak, poverty, sickness, all of these things 
touch the lives of believers and unbelievers. And sometimes in the exact same ways and at the exact same time. A flood will take out members of the church and take out unbelievers all at the same time. And so unbelievers suffer as well. But for the unbelieving world, for the most part, the suffering that they endure leads only to a further hardening of their hearts against God. That is what happens with them. To put it in Paul's language, unbelievers suffer, or unbelievers who suffer, do not suffer for the sake of Christ. And that is so because they don't believe in him. But we do. We do believe in Christ. All those who trust in Jesus Christ have faith in him. That is a gift also. It is a gift from God to believe in Christ, to humble ourselves before him, to trust in him. It is a gift from God to the elect that we believe in him. But precisely because we have been given the gift of faith, we suffer. You see that correlation. The the two go hand in hand. You've been given the gift of faith, and along with that faith, you will suffer in all types of ways as part of the body of Christ. It has been given to you not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake. And so let's continue to think about this concept, about how unbelievers are not given this gift. They suffer, yes, but they do not suffer for the sake of Christ. Their suffering, in the end, leads them to a further hardening of their hearts and their hatred of the gospel and their unbelief. But for Christians, it's different. And so let's look at this. Three times our relationship to Christ here is mentioned. Verse 29, for the sake of Christ, for those who believe in him, we suffer for his sake. And so in union with Christ, we suffer with Christ. There is an organic union that believers have with the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, in Christ, we suffer with him. It is a gift to be a part of him. It is a gift to suffer along with Christ. It is part of the fellowship, the union that we have with our Lord and Savior. And therefore, all our suffering is shaped by the cross, We have been baptized into Christ, and therefore we daily take up our cross to die. We suffer unto glory. That is something that we as Christians who have been baptized into Christ experience in this age, and no one else does. The unbelievers outside the church do not experience this suffering, taking up the cross and dying daily on behalf of Christ, for the sake of Christ. And so in union with Christ, his death becomes our death. And that death is a dying to sin and to this world. It's a dying to sin, being crucified to this world, crucified to the flesh, setting aside, putting to death our sinful deeds and desires. That is what it means for the believer. To take up our cross and to put to death our sinful desires, our sinful deeds, and to crucify ourselves to the world to the pagan, godless world. That is what Jesus did at the cross. And we go through this, friends, together, engaged in the same conflict. One member of the body suffers, we all suffer. That's how it works. 
And this is part of the reason why Paul will spend some time, and Lord willing, we'll look at this next week, on commanding the church to be unified. We're in a conflict together. It doesn't do us much good to be separated and to not be unified. We've got to be unified in our, in our contest against the devil, in our contest against the world. And so this is a, a suffering that is peculiar to the church and to the church alone that Paul has in mind here. Now, Paul refers to this suffering on the part of the church as a gift from God. Suffering for the Christian is a gift. It has been given to you because, well, why? Why is it, can we refer to it as a gift from God alongside faith? We all enjoy trusting in Christ and trusting in his atoning work and the forgiveness of sins. Maybe not so much the suffering part, right? The gift of suffering. Maybe that's a a less enjoyable gift that we've been given from God. Well, why can Paul refer to this, refer to suffering as a gift? How, how can you refer to it this way? Well, friends, suffering for the Christian is a gift, has been given to us, that has been given to us from God because it is the way in which God, by his word and spirit, conforms us into the image of his Son. It is the way in which he shapes us into something better, something more holy, something more joyful and content. That is why it's a gift. Because in suffering, he sheds away, he cuts away the dross of sin in your life to make you more like his son. And looked at from that point of view, every Christian should recognize that, yes, this is, that is a gift. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you didn't leave me in my sin, that who I am today is not the same person I was 10 years ago as a Christian. That is why it is a gift, friends. Paul talks about later in chapter 3 becoming like him, becoming like Jesus Christ. When we suffer, God in that suffering, by that suffering, shapes us into the image of of his son. And therefore, the suffering we endure, friends, is always cross shaped. It has been granted to you for the sake of Christ to be conformed to the cross, to die to yourself, to pick up your cross and die to yourself daily. That is something that not all people experience, and that is a gift that not all people have been given because they do not believe in Christ. They do not have. Faith in Christ. And so, let's try to, with all this in mind, let's try to tie all of this together. You as a believer in Christ may be suffering in such a way today that you think that God is out to destroy you. Or maybe this might happen to you at some point in the future. That the suffering that you are enduring feels as though it is something that you, it is beyond what you can bear. And it is evidence to you that God hates you. He's forsaken you. It, this is obvious because of this suffering. The suffering is beyond what we can bear, and so we tend to interpret and think that it is obvious, this is a sign that God has stopped loving me. He has set his eyes from upon me. He's no longer protecting me. You can see this all over the Psalms, this kind of attitude. 
Maybe you are beginning to regard your suffering again as evidence that God has turned his back on you. Well, isn't that what they tried to convince Jesus of when he was dying on the cross? He was nailed to a cross, dying, naked, humiliated. What did they say to him? They said, if you are the son of God, come down. End your suffering. If you are the so-called son of God, his beloved servant, why are you fastened to a cross? Come down. Do we not think something similar when we suffer, when we endure suffering in whatever form in this age? God, prove you love me in this suffering. That's kind of our prayer. That's kind of our cries, is it not, at times? Show me that you actually love me and in this pain. But what is Paul telling us here? What is he telling, what is he telling the church, the church that suffers for Christ's sake? God is not out to destroy you. Rather, he is loving you. By using your pain, your suffering, he is causing you to think and to act more like his very own son. That is a gift. That is a gift that we enjoy, the church, and that unbelievers do not enjoy. And so again, looked at from that perspective, this should, these should be our words. These should be, we should be thankful for these verses. In this way, friends, also, our suffering identifies us as belonging to Jesus. For those of you who believe in him, you suffer for him, it's evidence you belong to him. You feel pain because of the temptations of the world, your fight against your own sin, the ungodliness of the world, the temptations of Satan. You feel pain because of that. It's because you belong to Jesus. And so it's evidence that you were adopted into his family and that God is your father and he's loving you. It's part of our identity, friends, as God's adopted children. As Paul says here, it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ to suffer. To Christ be all praise and glory now and forevermore. Let's pray together, friends.